0: well it is hard to believe that we are to this final service obviously uh uh it's uh it's been precious i, I appreciate those of you that have prayed and uh the sense of hungry hearts has just been an absolute delight uh, which indicates god's been working here a long time before this week rolled around uh but uh, what a precious thing uh, to have upturned faces And uh, conversations before and after the services uh, that are about uh, about the truth and and uh, what God's doing and that kind of thing it's just an absolute thrill and uh, pastor thank you for again the privilege of being here so enjoyed the fellowship with you and Nancy Uh, just precious and special time yesterday with the men who came in and all of that but it's been an absolute delight and uh, been uh, good to get to to know pastor Vanderhart as well as I mentioned earlier his dad is a dear friend of mine Uh, when I need advice on certain things he's one of the men I call his father and uh, so uh, I can tell he's a chip off the old block <laughs> in a very positive way. And uh, it's been a light to get to know him and his uh, wife and family as well. Uh, but I've enjoyed getting to talk with all of you. As the Lord brings us to mind, I do appreciate your prayer tomorrow morning. I headed out early to get to Baker, Montana to start a meeting tomorrow night. <laughs> I don't normally start on a Thursday night, but I've got to get back east. And so I told uh, the, the, the pastor who called me, I said, the only way I could do this is if we went Thursday through Sunday. He said, "Let's do it." So, uh, Lord willing, that's what we'll do. And uh, then I'll go back uh, to Michigan for a day or two and swap out some stuff, and then head on to Pennsylvania for uh, some meetings in Pennsylvania and Maryland, and so forth as the fall tour continues. So, uh, if the Lord brings us to mind, we certainly appreciate your prayer. But to thank you, it's been an absolute delight to be back here. I appreciate the spirit in this church, and uh, many times people ask me, "Are any of your messages available?" And I say, that, "Well, well, they're." on some websites of churches and I always point them to Hope Baptist Church because you guys have them here and God was in our services and so it's a, a special thing to point people back to those uh, those videos. Well 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 as we deal with the truth that I trust a little use to cap off what we've been uh, dealing with and uh, you know how can Jesus become alive to you? How can you have a sweeter communion with Jesus well the answer to that is probably going to surprise us as it did to me some years ago and we're going to look at this tonight and toward the end of the message we will also look at an application of a promise uh, as last night we looked at facts uh, so we'll see all of this uh, trust coming together but let's read our text tonight it is the last mm-hmm. verse in the chapter and in the book of 2nd Corinthians it's a benediction we're going to hone in on one phrase In this verse. 2 Corinthians 13. Verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God. And the communion. Of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. Be with you all. That's what we want to hone in. May the communion. Of the Holy Spirit, be with all of you. That's what Paul's saying here, under inspiration. The word communion is a beautiful term. It is a beautiful term of relationship and friendship. And I want to speak tonight on the subject of friendship with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. And ask the Lord to open our eyes tonight. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of these days together. Thank you, Lord, for this dear church, this pastor, this people, the chemistry that you brought together in this assembly, your body here, this place at this time. Lord, we thank you that you are the head. Lord, we thank you that you know what you're doing. And you've got perfect wisdom. And perfect power to carry out your wisdom. And perfect love that supersedes our understanding. And so, Lord, tonight, open our eyes once again to truth. Truth found in a person. Lord, open our eyes to what it is to see the Lord Jesus become more real than ever before. And how you do this. So, Lord, breathe on us tonight transfigure us tonight, do what man cannot do. And I plead the blood of Jesus, Lord, to protect us from the attack of the enemy who so seeks to cloud the truth that we're going to consider tonight. So, Lord Jesus, I do claim our position in you on the throne far above the enemy. And in your name, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder tonight and trust you that that not be allowed. For Jesus, may you be lifted up. <coughs> may we truly embrace you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know the name from the 20th century, Walter Wilson? Would you raise your hand if you know that name? Medical doctor that was also a preacher, Walter Wilson. Well, let me introduce you to Walter Wilson. I feel like I know this guy, <laughs> although I've never met him personally. Uh, uh, Walter Wilson, as I mentioned, was a medical doctor, uh, loved the Lord, and uh, uh, was uh, used of God in some wonderful ways, but it wasn't always so. He wanted to be used of God. He was very sincere, very faithful. I mean, as a clock, I mean, always in his place, all that kind of thing. And, uh, but very ineffective, Ever felt that way? <laughs> and uh, very fruitless, especially in the area of the gospel in seeing people saved, discipled, uh, assimilated, and going on for God. Just very fruitless. And God used a confrontation one day, a good confrontation, with a missionary from France, a man of God, who asked Walter Wilson this question. This was going to change. This was going to lead to radical change in his life. The question was, what is the Holy Spirit to you? And Walter Wilson, you know, brilliant man, promptly replied, well, he is the third person of the Godhead. To which this man of God responded by saying, well, what you've said is true, but you didn't answer my question." I asked, what is the Holy Spirit to you? What does he mean to you? And Walter Wilson said he stood there awkwardly with a long pause and finally got honest and said, well, he means nothing to me at all. I know who he is, but I have no personal relationship with him. To which this man of God replied, that is why your life is barren and your ministry is fruitless. I'd call that a confrontation, wouldn't you? (laughs) Now, could we have answered any better? What is the Holy Spirit to you? Could we have said anything other than, well, he's the third person of the Godhead? See, that's not the question. The question is, what is the Holy Spirit to you, to us, to you as an individual? In other words, what does he mean to you? Now, let me word it this way. How's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? You know, if I were to ask tonight, for those of you that are married, how's your relationship with your spouse? You'd know exactly what I'm talking about. If I were to ask parents, how's your relationship with your kids or kids? How's your relationship with your parents? We know exactly what we're talking about. Well, this is what we're talking about. It's relationship. How is your relationship With the Holy Spirit, would it be like Walter Wilson, where you kind of get dumbfounded and think, "Well, okay, I know He is, but I don't know about having a relationship with Him." Now, friends, the text says, "May this communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all." You see that word communion? Such a powerful term! It is in other passages translated fellowship. It is a word that is dealing with a sharing together. See, it's interactive, it's mutual, it's reciprocal. Uh, it is a term that deals with a joint participation, a functioning together as one. See, it's a beautiful, picturesque term of friendship. And it says, May this friendship, this partnership, this communion, this fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Now, friends, All of you, this is not just for certain people. No, this is for every child of God. It is, uh, regardless of your age, regardless of how long you've been saved, this is for every, this is the will of God for every child of God. And so we need to ask ourselves do we have a rich, vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because God desires us to. Now, how can the believer? As the human partner in this relationship, cultivate, develop a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit, who is obviously the heavenly partner. Well, in order for us to fulfill our responsibility in this miraculous friendship, we must understand who the Holy Spirit is to us. That will provide insight into our relational responsibilities to him so from a vast realm of scriptural truth tonight let's look at three biblical affirmations of who the Holy Spirit is to us number one he is the divine partner in this partnership in this friendship in this fellowship he is the divine partner. That means we're talking about having a relationship with God. Now, friends, since the Holy Spirit is the divine partner, we must honor the Spirit as God, along with the Father. And the Son in fact we see all three persons of the Godhead spelled out in our text the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ there's God the Son and the love of God referring to God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all okay so we have the whole Godhead here and what I'm simply saying tonight is that in this relationship see when we're placed into Christ and Christ is placed into us he does that through the person of the Holy Spirit and so in this partnership we're in this relationship with the the divine partner the holy spirit himself and thus since he is divine we must honor him as god as deity along with the father and the son but i will say there's a lot of confusion on this a lot of it so let me ask let's just Walk through a couple of questions to try to seek to clarify that confusion through the word and the Spirit. First of all, is the Holy Spirit truly God? What's your answer? Yes. Okay. We know intellectually, yes, he is God. And you're correct. So in your affirmation intellectually, you got it right. We got an A so far. But do we treat him as God? Because if we don't, we really don't believe he's God. And I have met many people who are Trinitarians on paper, but they are not Trinitarians in practice. Because you act out what you really believe. And often the Holy Spirit is basically le- neglected, or in the very least, relegated to a second-class position as it were within the godhead because there have been excesses in the name of the spirit especially back in the 1970s and so people say well i don't want that wildfire and then they begin to ignore the holy spirit and unwittingly relegate him down to a second class uh, position i was uh, talking with the I was in a church setting just like this, and we had a Q&A time, (laughs) and we were talking about this, and uh, the the head deacon of the church said, you know, you're right. He said, uh, uh, I think I mentioned this to the men yesterday during one of the sessions with the preachers, but this man said, he goes, I kind of figured the fundamentalists have the Father and the Son, and the charismatics have the Holy Spirit, (laughs) and it's been killing us for several decades now. Because what's happening is the Holy Spirit is just kind of neglected. He's just, you know, we're not supposed to talk about him as the idea and uh, so forth and so on. And so we're really not treating him as God. Now, friends, he's God. And if we're not treating him as God, then down deep, we really don't believe he's God, even though we say we do. Do you know that's a big error? And it does need to get cleared up because you're right. He is God. How about the Great Commission? Make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father and Son, and Holy Spirit. See, we have one God in three persons. The Holy Spirit, therefore, is God. How about Psalm 139? Whither shall I flee from thy spirit? There's not a place you and I can go where the Spirit is not there, because he is omnipresent. Well, only God is omnipresent. Ah, the Holy Spirit is God. Hebrews 9:14, he's called the eternal spirit. Well, only God is eternal. Ah, yes, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay. People think, well, you know, doesn't everybody believe that? Well, I'm not convinced. Let's go to a second question. Should the Holy Spirit be glorified as God? Along with the Father and the Son? Well, is he God? (laughs) Then the answer should be obvious. And yet, the waters have been so muddied up, I remember a conference I was preaching in where a number of preachers were in the conference. We were dealing with this truth and afterwards, a preacher came up to, up to me and uh, he was visibly agitated, I'm trying to be kind. <laughs> and you could tell he was just, you know, just about to explode <laughs> and once he opened his mouth, you know, you could see that fury coming out. He said, you, you, you can't clarify the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. Now, where does it say that in the Bible? Now, Jesus said in John 16, when he taught us on the Holy Spirit, remember John 14 through 16, he says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Spirit. Here's what life will be like when the Holy Spirit comes. Okay, so in chapter 16, Jesus says, he, the Spirit, shall glorify me. That's true. But he never said we're not supposed to glorify the Spirit. How about the times throughout the scripture when it says something to the effect of honor God? But it does not specify Father, Son, or Spirit. Well, then does it not include Father, Son, and Spirit? Obviously, yes. And that in those passages were commanded to honor God. You know, it's a fascinating study from Genesis to Revelation. Each person of the Godhead glorifies the other two. Very fascinating study. A.W. Tozier put it this way. The persons of the Godhead are not jealous of each other. (laughs) I love those guys that can just say it, you know, Uh, that bottom shelf stuff, you know. (laughs) But, uh, uh, you know, well, that's really true. Why? Because you're dealing with one God in three persons. Now, why the confusion? Well, some of it comes, obviously, because of this overreaction that we've talked about. But people try 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 to tie their overreaction to a text in some way. And one of the phrases they use is in John 16, verse 13, where Jesus, again, talking about the Spirit, says, He, the Spirit, shall not speak of himself. So the conclusion that many have come to is, see, the Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself, which shows that we're not supposed to talk about him. We're supposed to talk about Jesus. Okay. problem is, it doesn't say the word about. Jesus said, He, the Spirit, shall not speak of himself. He didn't say he, the Spirit, shall not speak about himself. He did speak about himself. How do you think we know about the Holy Spirit? What is this Bible? How did we get it? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the? Oh, you know, he's the author of this book. Do you know there are 347 explicit references to the Holy Spirit in this book? So yes, he did talk about himself. That's, there's no, that's how we know about him. Uh, 261 of those references are in the New Testament. Now let me hasten to say those numbers are far exceeded with the numbers of the references in the Bible to the Lord Jesus Christ in keeping with the Spirit's ministry to testify of the Son and glorify the Son. But he did talk about himself. That's how we know about him. Not only that, two chapters earlier, at the beginning of that discourse, Jesus said in John 14, I speak not of myself. Now Think. If you go to John 16, 13, where Jesus says to the Spirit, he shall not speak of himself, and conclude, okay, can't talk about the Spirit, then when Jesus said, I speak not of myself, you couldn't talk about Jesus, which proves the thinking is grossly wrong. And this thought alone has hindered many of God's people from having a right relationship and a communion with the Holy Spirit. Fascinating. All right, let's go further with another question. We're still on the first point. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't laugh. Um, (laughs) Who revealed the Father? The answer there would be the Son, because in John 14, remember what Jesus said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that means that Jesus is the express revelation of the Father. That is, he reveals the Father okay who reveals the son the Holy Spirit in fact over there in John 16 uh, when Jesus said he shall glorify me he explains for he shall take of what is mine and shall show it unto you the Spirit shows us Jesus the Spirit reveals Jesus. The Spirit is the one who testifies and glorifies the Son. So just as the Son is the express revelation of the Father, thus he reveals the Father, the Spirit reveals the Son. Now, why is that important? Well, follow the logic of Jesus in John chapter 5, where he says that we are to honor the Son as we honor the Father. Well, that makes sense because the Son is the revelation of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, as he said there to Philip. Okay, but then he goes on to say, after he says, honor the Son as you honor the Father, he goes on to say that if you do not honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. Now, there are people who say they're honoring Jehovah, that they are a witness of Jehovah. (laughs) But they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, which means they are grossly deceived because while they say they're honoring the father when they do not honor the son they're not honoring the father because the son is the revelation of the father and in order to properly honor the father you got to honor the son too because he's the revelation of the father does that make sense okay well then if the spirit is the one who reveals the son if we have a desire to honor the son and uh, that in all things he might have the preeminence okay if we have a desire to honor the son and yet the Spirit reveals the Son, then whom must we also honor in order to fully honor the Son? The Holy Spirit. And if we're not honoring the Spirit, who are we also dishonoring? The Son. What a tragedy. I have met so many people who say, well, I am honoring Jesus. No, 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 And they ignore the Spirit, downplay the Spirit, neglect the Spirit. Oh, we're not supposed to talk about the Spirit. And all of that, and all of those misunderstandings and unwittingly, they're not honoring the Son. Because you cannot honor the Son without also honoring the Spirit because He's the one who reveals the Son. Now, one other question before we get to the next major point. What is the Spirit like? I should better word it. Who is the Spirit like? You know, in Philippians 1.19, the Scripture says, the Spirit of Jesus. Elsewhere, He's also called the Spirit of the Father. But do you know, this is fascinating. In John 14, Jesus said, now look, I'm talking to his disciples, and I'm leaving. Uh, But I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm sending another comforter, even the Spirit of truth. And then he says, and you know him. That's an interesting phrase. And you know him. And then he explains, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Next verse, I will not leave you comfortless, literally as orphans, I will come to you. Now wait a second. He just said I'm leaving. And I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And you know him because he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Which lets us know that the Spirit is here not merely in the stead of Jesus, he brings the very life of Jesus right into us. There's our life streaming concept. The Spirit is bringing the very, I will come to you, Jesus said. And yet he said he was leaving. It's because of the Spirit taking that throne life of the glorified, triumphant, enthroned Christ and streaming that very triumphant life right into us every moment. As we've been dealing with all week long. Now, let me personalize this. A number of years ago, I was sensing, you know, I don't think I have a close relationship with Jesus and I was really bothered by it you know I'd read you know about Jonathan Edwards and he'd go out in the woods and revel in God for two hours and I'm thinking what's that <laughs> and uh, especially when it came to Jesus I thought I I'm mean, you know I'm saved I was already in full-time ministry uh, but I, I did not sense a close relationship with Jesus now God stirred me in his providence at that time in my life to do a study from Genesis to Revelation on the Holy Spirit. Now, my burden was, I need to have a close relationship with Jesus. I'm just going through motions, just drifting along, doing the stuff, do church, do Christianity, do the list, give me the box. But the relationship thing isn't there. And God in his goodness and perfect wisdom led me to study the Holy Spirit. So I'm studying Genesis, Exodus, and wherever the the Spirit is mentioned, I'm making notes. I still have these notes. Oh, wow, there's way more than I realized. And so, uh, you know, all through that year, I'm studying the Holy Spirit, Old Testament, now New Testament, and all this rich, detailed truth on the person and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened? The sun, S-O-N, rose. Because the Spirit testifies to the Son. The Spirit glorifies the Son. So if you want to know the Son, get to know the Holy Spirit, and you'll soon be crying out, what a friend we have in Jesus. This is how it works, and this is why Satan has tried so hard to get God's people off on the Holy Spirit. Whether it's strange fire or no fire. Neither <laughs> way, it's off. Because he knows that when you get to know the Holy Spirit, then you have an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's how this works. And thus, since the Holy Spirit is the divine partner, let's honor him as God. And Jesus, and quite frankly the Father, will become more real than they ever have before. (laughs) Secondly, not only is he the, the divine partner, he is a personal partner. This relationship is a relationship with God, but it is a relationship of a person. And since the Holy Spirit is a person, a personal partner, a person, then we must treat him as a person. And that was deep. <laughs> since he's a person, treat him as a person. That's exactly what we need to do. Now, friends, the fact is, we often miss this, but he is a person. In fact, it says here, may the uh, communion of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the definite article is preceding a proper name, it emphasizes the person. When it's absent, it emphasizes the quality of the person. Uh, But here in this text, the uh, definite article is there. It's emphasizing his person. Why? Because he is a person. And this whole idea of communion uh, is dealing with a sharing together. It's a mutual interaction. It's treating him... In a relational way, that's the whole point. So a couple of key thoughts. The Holy Spirit's a personality. You know, when you meet somebody, uh, especially if you haven't even actually met him, but you see him, we have a tendency, it's kind of automatic, we, we size somebody up. <laughs> and then when we get to know we discover we were totally wrong. Either positively or negatively. (laughs) But uh, you know it takes time to cultivate personality. Okay. Tozer again said cultivate the Holy Spirit's personality. Get to know him. He's a person. Which means he's not an impersonal force. I'm sure in this audience you know enough to say well that's right he's not a force he's a person. Then why? Do so many say things like this. You know. Something told me. Why do we say something? Because. That's what we really believe. Even though we say. He's not a force. But you act out. What you really believe. And when people say things like something. It shows that. Their real belief is more that he's a force. Maybe because they've been watching too much Star Wars. But, friends, this is not the same concept of may the force be with you. This is the person of God, the Holy Spirit. He is a person. How would you like to be called something? (laughs) Not only that, he's not an inanimate object. It's not a signpost. Some people think, like, well, you know, I need direction. I'm looking for that sign that says this way, <laughs> you know, whatever. No, he's a person who's in you, who speaks to you and says, you know, this is the way. Walk ye in it. <laughs> oh, yes. Have you ever been like in a doctor's office or somewhere? And there's several people and the Holy Spirit says, you know, go talk to that person there. Oh, ah, that's what we're talking about. See, he's a person. He's a personal guide. He leads us. He actually speaks to us. And in John 14 through 16, when Jesus taught on the Holy Spirit repeatedly over and over again, he refers to the Holy Spirit as him and he, which means when we got saved, when you got saved, he, not it, moved into you. Now, um. Been in evangelism 31 plus years now. Every year, every so often, in churches just like this, uh, good churches, I'll be in a conversation with somebody in the church and we're talking about the Holy Spirit and they will refer to the Holy Spirit as it. And really don't even realize what they're saying. Now, what would you think tonight if after the service Pastor Outler and I are in the lobby and we're talking? about you and you know there's just something about it you know the the antennas go up <laughs> what mm, somebody's talking about me <laughs> and uh, so you walk by and you slow your pace Oh, what are they saying is it good is it bad and let's suppose as you walk by as we're talking about you that every time we refer to you we refer to you as it and uh, it said this you know and it did this Now, let me ask you, (laughs) would that be offensive to you? Sure it would. Then maybe we need to get right with the Holy Spirit, and I mean it. Friends, he is a person. You know, the scripture says, grieve not the spirit. Only a person who loves us can be grieved. So he's a personality. Are we treating him as a person? But not only that. This partnership, this friendship is a relationship, and to have a good relationship, you have to relate. Well, there's another deep one. To have a relationship, you have to relate. Now, wait a second. Are we relating? Now, suppose this was a marriage seminar tonight, (laughs) and uh, we asked the question, all right, What are some of the key ingredients? In fact, watch number one? What's top on the list uh, when we think of cultivating a vibrant, healthy relationship between husband and wife? There's a lot of things that go into that. But when it comes to right on the top of the list and we're thinking of what really makes a difference in cultivating a healthy relationship between a husband and wife, what comes to our mind? Communication. You know, somehow the human psyche knows the answer to this we just know communication that is other things devotion loyalty i get all that but communication so let's ask a couple of questions here does the holy spirit communicate with us yeah. absolutely uh, Romans 8:16. the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Now, that verse is very helpful because it tells us where he speaks to us. Now, remember the other night we talked about body, soul, and then spirit. That was the old man that died with Christ and now raised the new man. That's the regenerated spirit. And that's where the Holy Spirit moved in. So it's your core, not your outer man, your inner man, your core, not your circumference. Some have more than others. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, but... <laughs> uh, but <laughs> It is that inner core where the spirit bears witness with our spirit. And in that text, uh, the scripture goes on to say that we are the children of God. Not that we feel like, but that we are. See, it's a knowing. When the spirit speaks down deep, you know. Sometimes it's just a deep knowing. Sometimes words are formulated in your mind that you didn't concoct. And you know that God's speaking to you. But the point is, he's speaking not your outer man. It's not outside audible voices. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit. And from there, working out through your mind. And so on. Now, yes, he speaks to us. Okay, so second question. Can we talk to him? Well, is he God? And is he a person? And the answer should be obvious. But again, there's so much misunderstanding for fear of wildfire. And I get that. But the fact is, it's killed us because then we just neglect the Holy Spirit. Walter Wilson put it this way, You know, he's in you. He's present, therefore. And personal presence automatically carries with it the privileges of conversation. I have an evangelist friend named Jimmy Cook. He used to be a gangster in Detroit, and God saved him years ago, and uh, he uh, has served the Lord all these years. And uh, he said years ago, when he was a, a, a young, actually, pastor at the time, he pastored for five years and then went into evangelism. And uh, he said he and his wife, they, they, they went to a conference ground in Southern California, and they were there to just take a rest, but they found out that, oh, a Bible conference is going on. Said, well, a Bible conference, let's go. And uh, they said this old doddering man got up, and Jimmy Cook, you know, was the energetic young guy. <laughs> and he thought, you know, why don't they have somebody, you know, vivacious and, you know, like me. <laughs> and he's hilarious when he tells the story. But he said, it was Walter Wilson. He didn't know who Walter Wilson was. And Wilson looks at this audience of seven, 800 people and says, how many of you talked to the Holy Spirit today? About three hands go up. He said, you know, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is in you. He's always with you. And you know, to have someone always with you and you don't ever speak to them, that's not very nice. <laughs> now, friends, have you talked to the Holy Spirit today, you see, he's a person. He talks to us. We can talk to him. What kind of marriage would a couple have if only one person did all the talking? <laughs> I won't go where we could go with that. But uh, <laughs> and eventually, guys, you got to talk. <laughs> There's got to be two-way communication. Say, okay, that makes, you know, common sense, but does the Bible tell us to communicate with the Holy Spirit? How about our text? <laughs> Communion. See, that very word demands mutual interaction, it's reciprocal, it demands it, and that is an inspired word of God. That's explicit. On the implicit level, over there in John 14 through 16, Jesus said uh, that he was leaving, that I'm sending you another comforter, even the Holy Spirit. And the word another, there's uh, two words that are translated as another in our English Bibles. One means another of a different kind. One means another of the same kind. And when he said, I'm sending the spirit of truth, he said, another of the same kind. Now, another of the same kind. Did Jesus talk to people when he walked the planet? Did they talk with him? Absolutely. So if the Holy Spirit is here as another of the same kind, can we not interact with him just like the disciples did with Jesus? Absolutely. The only difference is for the disciples, Jesus was out here. For us, the Holy Spirit is in here, in us. But he is another of the same Kind, which means we can communicate with him just like the disciples did with Jesus. Now, the issue is primarily communication. That's the big deal, not necessarily the concept of praying. When a husband and wife are communicating, they're not praying to each other. Well, occasionally, one is asking the other for the wallet. But most of the time, we wouldn't think of it, of course, as prayer. So the issue is communication, not prayer. But since I brought it up on purpose, (laughs) because there's so much confusion here, let's just ask the question. Is it legitimate to ever, I by no means mean only, but to ever address the Holy Spirit in prayer? Well, is he God? Well, again, the answer should be then obvious. People say, yeah, but where is that in the Bible? Okay, did you know that God commanded one of his prophets to pray to the Holy Spirit? It's all recorded for us. It's in Ezekiel 37. And the prayer is recorded in verse 9. When Ezekiel prays, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And as you keep on reading in verse 14, the breath is explained as the Holy Spirit of God. Fascinating. Now, when Jesus walked on earth, did anybody ever pray to him? How about Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How about Peter when he's beginning to sink? He never sang, but beginning to sink. (laughs) Ever been there? (laughs) Lord, save me. (laughs) Okay, so these are prayers to Jesus. Do you know there's really nothing in the Old Testament that would give us a precedent for that? In the Old Testament, the person of the Godhead that's in the forefront is the father. And Satan's attack was on the father and he tripped God's people up with idolatry. But when Jesus came, then in the Gospels, the person of the Godhead who's in the forefront is Jesus. And without any precedent in the Old Testament, when he was here, it was obvious, son of David, have mercy on me. He finished his work, he ascended, he sent the spirit. and Yes, he's coming again, but right now, until he does, we're in the age of the Holy Spirit. See, Satan's attack corresponds to the person of Godhead who's in the forefront of a given, can I use the term, dispensation. In the Old Testament, he attacked the Father to trip God's people up into hydrology. Uh, When Jesus came, he came into his own, and his own received him not, because that's where the attack was. And now the Holy Spirit is here. And where do you think that the, the attack is? On the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's why there's all this confusion. Some going into strange, strange, wild things in the name of the Spirit, and that's a tragedy because it's discrediting, and others being so afraid of that that they don't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit, and that's a tragedy, too. And people say, well, I don't want to have a false experience. Let me tell you something. No experience is just as bad as that wild experience. In other words, no experience is also a false experience. And so Satan wins. That's where the attack is. But the fact is... Just as there was no real precedent in the Old Testament to call on Jesus, well, when he was here, they did, and now that the Spirit is here, then it's legitimate to pray to the Spirit. Not always, but when it's appropriate. How many of you know the song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me? That's a prayer to the Spirit. Were you sinning when you sang it? (laughs) Some would have us believe that. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Breathe on me, breath of God. Oh, Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Those are all prayers to the Spirit. Are we sinning when we sing them? No, not at all. But someone happens to believe so because there's just so much confusion. We need to get it cleared up because these things matter. Ideas matter. And a lot of the confusion comes because of a misunderstanding of the Lord's Prayer. People say, well, wait a second, but didn't Jesus say we're supposed to say our Father? Okay, let's talk about that. The first time that occurs is in the Gospel of Matthew, and the text says that Jesus said, after this manner, pray ye. He didn't say this was the only prayer you could pray. If it's the only prayer you could pray, then not only could you only say our Father, and it would be wrong to say, you know, address the Holy Spirit, you couldn't pray to Jesus either. You know, I I know a lot of people who got saved asking Jesus to save them, and he did. So obviously that's a misunderstanding. And if, based on the Lord's Prayer, you can only say Our Father, then the only prayer you could ever pray would be that prayer, and you're back to moralist mantras. So that's obviously a misunderstanding. Now, don't get me wrong, it's our privilege to say Our Father. But my point is, there are times when you can call on Jesus, and there are times you can pray to the Spirit. You know, in the scripture, in any event that ever happens, God's in it all, but sometimes there's one of the persons that's prominent in that particular area. How about the gospel harvest? What did Jesus say? He said, pray ye to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. He's obviously talking about somebody other than himself. Well, who's the Lord of the harvest? Well, who descended in Acts chapter 2 in such mighty power that 3,000 got harvested? Oh, that was the Holy Spirit. We're, we're specifically told that. Who was it in Acts chapter 8 that said, just like he does to us, that said to Philip, join yourself to this chariot so that the Ethiopian unit could be harvested? We're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. Who was it in Acts chapter 10 that said to Peter, go with these men, don't doubt, that led him over to Cornelius' house that opened the door to the Gentile harvest of which we are the benefactors? Well, we're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. Who was it in Acts 13 that said, as they were praying, that's key, to the leaders at the church at Antioch separate unto me Barnabas and Saul, Paul. For the work whereunto I have called them, that was the first missionary journey. Harvest, 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 and we're specifically told that was the Spirit. Who was it in Acts 16? As Paul and his team were headed into a particular area, and and uh, 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 they were forbade to go that way to get them over into the Macedonian harvest. Again, we're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. So I ask you tonight, based on the Book of Acts, who is the Lord of the harvest? The Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus said, pray. Do you know that the Holy Spirit knows in your neighborhood who's searching? He knows among your family members who is sensing that void that can only be filled by God because it's the God-shaped hole, we might say. Do you know the Holy Spirit knows in your workplace who really is actually coming toward God. And on the surface you may not know it at all. And that's why Jesus said, "Hey, pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Lord of the Harvest, cuz he knows where he's working. And he knows who's responding. And pray to him that he will thrust out laborers into his harvest, not just his fields. It's not just a matter of working in the fields, duty demands demands it. Nobody else could save but, you know, bless God, we're faithful. No. He says, "Pray that God will connect you to the harvest, to where he's working. And we're specifically told to ask the Holy Spirit about that. And do you know when you ask him, he'll lead you. And you discover God's working in this person. I would have never known it. I couldn't see past the outward exterior that, you know, I just concluded they're not interested. No, they are interested. God's on the move. And you can ask him to connect you to the harvest. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You see, I am in no way intimating that we should not pray to the Father. No, much of the time, if not most of the time, we are privileged to cry out, Father. In fact, according to Romans 8, it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to say, I have a Father. That's a privilege. We're not saying downplay that. No way. Obviously, we're not saying downplay Jesus. No, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. But we are saying, let's stop neglecting the Holy Spirit. This is not a matter of getting out of balance. It's a matter of getting back into balance. And I will tell you in these 30-whatever years on the road that when there are individuals and congregations who get right with the Holy Spirit about what we're talking about tonight, it is amazing what happens as the Spirit lifts up Jesus and people experience life again. I remember some dear Filipinos in the fall of 2000, oh, Holy Spirit, forgive us for not treating you as a person. I think of a preacher in Singapore who got up in front of his congregation, this is Chinese culture, you don't do this unless God's working, and apologized to the Holy Spirit in front of the whole shebang for neglecting him. And in both cases, revival just exploded. in the church in Singapore From that moment to five years later, they grew from 250 to 2,500 with no gimmicks and no no compromise. It's connected, folks. Now there's more to it, because when you start acknowledging the Holy Spirit, it leads you to pray. And now, when you acknowledge Him in the prayer meeting, you actually pray, and it counts. And it's not just you know mechanical prayers. See, it all just keeps snowballing. But it's the relationship with the Spirit. So, He's the divine partner thus should be treated as God. He's the personal partner, thus should be treated as a person. And now finally, he's the senior partner. You know, in the business world, when you have a partnership and you have a junior and a senior, you've got to figure out who's the senior and who's the junior, you're going to have trouble. (laughs) The two-headed monster stuff. Well, obviously, the Holy Spirit's the senior partner, and therefore, we must yield to the Spirit as the senior partner, as Lord. And life 2nd Corinthians 317 now the Lord is that spirit isn't that interesting the father's called Lord the son is called Lord and the spirit is called Lord. and it says there now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there's Liberty in other words where the spirit is yielded to as Lord where he's Lord in other words where you're you're playing it out he's Lord you're yielding Him as Lord that's when there's Liberty Liberty to do what he leads you to do, liberty to not do what he leads you to not do. That's liberty. No longer the box, no longer the list, but the spirit within the boundaries of the black and white lines that he wrote in the written word, Uh, he leads us and gives us liberty. Yes, you may do this, and no, that's not good for you. And because he knows our propensities, that's gonna vary between person and person on the plateau within the big, bold lines. Holy Spirit leads some men not to have a smartphone. And it's smart for them to not have it <laughs> when the Holy Spirit says, you yeah, know, it's not going to be good for you. Does that make sense? When the Holy Spirit tells another guy, you know, okay, you can have a smartphone, but just do this and do this as a constant to protect. Okay, my point is, he knows what he's doing. He's the Lord. People say, oh, this is a matter of preference. I, I get that that within the bold lines of the black and white and the written word, there are other things that are not black and white, and so we say, well, okay, this is my preference. No, it's his preference. See, the communion with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we don't have to fear because he has perfect wisdom and perfect love. And yes, he might lead you to draw a line, but he doesn't lead the next guy to draw a line. And we've got this idea, well, you know, if I gotta have this standard, then everybody's gotta have it, too, so that we're all miserable together. Oh, that's not quite what I'm supposed to say, but uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> the reality is the Holy Spirit knows what's going on. Do you know, if everything was spelled out black and white, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Ever wonder why God didn't say certain things? He wants us to have a relationship with Him through the Spirit. And He leads us. And uh, sometimes, he, yes, He gives you liberty for this. Other times, He gives you liberty to not do this. He, where the Spirit is... Lord, there's liberty, there's liberty. Are we obeying him? You know, if there's known sin in your life right now, then you're violating the partnership. If there are doubtful things and you have not gone to him to find out what he wants you to do, but you say, well, this is a gray area, I can do what I want to. Okay, then again, you're grieving the spirit. Let's go to him and say, now Lord, This one's not clear, so what do you want me to do? Even if it differs from somebody else. And sometimes he leads you to draw a line that's kind of stricter than somebody else. Did you know it's okay to have a conviction that nobody else has, if the Holy Spirit led you to have it? (laughs) You see, he's Lord. You know, the obvious should be obvious. It's the stuff that's not obvious, that's what proves surrender. And again, it's not a matter of who can give up the most and who can be the farthest to the right. Well, I lived in that mode for a while. And after a while, it gets ridiculous. You know, you gotta out, you know, out conservative the next conservative. <laughs> you know, and we think, you know, we've got the most conservative dress. No, the Amish got us beat. <laughs> and the fundamentalist Muslims got them beat. <laughs> and the only way you can beat them is to wear a refrigerator box with a periscope. <laughs> Now, we're really digressing here. (laughs) And you know, when you look to him as Lord, then he empowers you with his life. See, if you don't look to him as Lord, if your list is Lord, then you have no power. This is what we dealt with two and a half years ago. Because whatever you focus on is what you depend on. If you focus on anything other than the person then you're focusing on your version of how it should play out, your version of law, and though the law is holy and just and good, it has no power to enable us to obey it. Uh, That's not what it's there for. It's to show us when we disobey it. And so if you're looking at your list, your box, there's no power. And either you just crash and burn, or you have the form of godliness that denies the power thereof, and it will be incinerated as wood, hay, and stubble at the judgment seat of Christ, and people will stand appalled that there's nothing there Passing the test you see the focus can't be the stuff it's got to be the person and when you focus on him he empowers you and of course he fulfills the law the way God intends for it to be fulfilled which might differ here and there from what we think on some things but nonetheless you will actually in other words the Holy Spirit's never going to lead you to sin ever it'll come out right isn't this free? You see, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Why? Because none of us are at the same spot on our journey with God. We want to force everybody into one-size-fits-all, and we force everybody into perpetual immaturity. You know, a two-year-old makes two-year-old messes, but we don't worry about it because they're two years old. Now, if the 12-year-old's making the same mess, and the 20 years, man, we really got a problem. <laughs> God knows where you're at on your journey. He's going to lead you and whatever he leads it's for your good whether it's liberty to or liberty not to the point is he's Lord but as we look to him he does empower us that brings us to the concept of accessing his power in the gospel we've mentioned much about the difference between facts and promises Last couple nights, we focused on fact, facts. You're in Christ. He's in you. You can take Jesus as the way of escape. By the way, how many of you have experienced Jesus today as the way of escape? All right, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, now, let's go to a promise. How about Luke 11:13? 13? Because it's dealing with the power that we need for someone who needs bread from heaven. And so... He says, "If you then, being evil, know how to give good gift, gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask?" Okay, remember it's the context. You know, if a child asks for uh, uh, fish, is the you know is the parent going to give them a stone or a scorpion, whatever it is? So, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? I mentioned a moment ago when the definite article is in front of the proper name, it emphasizes the person. When it's not there, it emphasizes the power of the person. Uh, In the English, it's always inserted because it would sound funny without it, so it's rightly rendered, but in Luke 11.13, that definite article is not there. Here's what it's saying. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit-ness, we might say, the quality of the Spirit, the overflow, the aura of the Spirit to those who ask. Now, think of the analogy here. It's the children asking for food. Do good parents wait three weeks when the kid's hungry? You say, it depends on which kid. No. <laughs> so if you then mean even know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the quality of the spirit to those who ask? And friends, facts are already there. You can take them. Christ is living in you. Thank you, Jesus. And you experience his patience, his love and purity and so on. But when it comes to influencing somebody outside of you, the rhemas of God that we talked about on Sunday night are given to us in the future tense, their promises. I'm just giving you one here. And so when we need the power of the Spirit to free us to be unashamed of Jesus and to enable us to speak so that there's the overflow of Jesus and to convince the hearer so that they get it, okay, we can ask, God, I've got so-and-so at work. You're burdening me about them. If you're burdening me, that means there's something going on here. And so I'm going to take that as my cue that you're moving in their heart. Now, Lord, I've got an opportunity. I could talk to them at lunch today. God, I'm asking you, free me to speak. God, make me unashamed of Jesus. And, uh, and, Lord, convince them. And as you're asking, because it's not is yet, the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit. You got what you're asking for. And it just went from will be to is. Once it moves to is, you can stop asking and start taking and say, thank you, we're getting it. (laughs) And then you act on it. So ask, take, and act. Okay, back to Walter Wilson. That's your cue that we're almost done. (laughs) Did you know you got a three-week meeting in four days? (laughs) By long sermons. (laughs) All right. So Walter Wilson was confronted with that man of God. That's why your life is barren and your ministry is fruitless. Well, he got hungry. He got hungry for a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a relationship. And in the goodness and providence of God, as he was hungering after God, and what does this mean and how does this work? He heard a preacher by the name of James M. Gray, Moody Church, Chicago, uh, preaching somewhere on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And Gray pointed out, that doesn't say which person of the Godhead. But which person of the Godhead indwells your body? (laughs) The Holy Spirit. And he said, the challenge is, will you do this tonight? Will you present your eyes, your ears, your tongue, your hands, your feet? Will you present your body to the Holy Spirit to be the leader and the power source for everything? Walter Wilson went home, deeply impressed with the reality. That's the answer. And he got on his face. His Bible opened to Romans 12, 1 and 2, sticking his finger on that text. There's nothing magical about that. That's just what he did. But here's the important part. Addressing the Holy Spirit, he essentially said, I give you my eyes to see through, my ears to hear through, my tongue to speak through, my hands to work through, my feet to go through, and I'm taking you. I love this, as my personal God. Now look, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave you the power to become the sons of, sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In salvation, when you believe on Jesus, you're receiving, you're taking. The word receive is not the word be given, it's the word taking what is being given. So Walter Wilson, prays that prayer, gets up the next morning, tells us why this is going to be a wonderful day. Last night, I received the Holy Spirit as my own personal God, now let me just stop and explain. He knew the Holy Spirit was in him, he's a very intelligent, brilliant man. See, you're given the Spirit the day you got saved. Have you taken what what you were given? God gave Jesus to the whole world, but does the whole world benefit from the gift of Jesus? No, only those that believe, who take. God gives the Holy Spirit to every child of God, that's a fact. But you're not going to benefit fully unless you take. And that's why Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when they said, what shall we do? He said, repent, change what you believe, and then get baptized. Why? Because water baptism your spirit baptism, and then take the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we preach on that text? And Walter Wilson said, I received the Holy Spirit as my personal God, my leader, senior partner. You get it? And he said, this is going to be a wonderful day. He said, I know God's going to use me. I know it. And his wife, thankfully, said, <laughs> well, call me when something special happens. <laughs> no cold water. <laughs> Three hours later, Walter Wilson called his wife. He said, two ladies came to the office, and the Spirit of God said, speak. And he said, this time when I spoke, he said, God enabled me and enabled them to, co- to hear. And they were convinced. He said, both of them got saved. He wasn't used to seeing that. And that began a whole new life for Walter Wilson. Because now he was in the communion. He was in the partnership. He was in the friendship of the real leader and the real power source. And he led so many people. He's already written books. You can read it. Soul Winning Stories by Dr. Walter Wilson. Just what the doctor ordered. You can look it up. Now friends, God can change us too. Walter Wilson, nobody knew his name until he entered his partnership with the Holy Spirit. the issue is not anybody knowing our name, the issue is entering in to the communion with the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now as we think this through, please stay focused if you will, thank you for your kind attention tonight. First of all, back on the first point, the Holy Spirit is the divine partner. I'm gonna ask the pianist if you'll just wait until I give you the cue on playing the music. But stay with me here on that first point. The Holy Spirit is the divine partner. We talked about, you know, we say he's God, but sometimes we don't really treat him as God. We kind of do the second-class citizen or just neglect him and uh, that kind of thing. I wonder who would say, you know what, preacher, I think I've bought into some of those wrong ideas, maybe unwittingly, but I've kind of neglected the Holy Spirit, and I don't know that I can say I've, I've honestly treated him as God along with the Father and the Son, and God has convicted me that I need to honor the Spirit as God along with honoring the Father and the Son. God spoke to me, would you raise the hand please? Yes, 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 amen, yes. Now, I wonder who it's a preacher on that second point. Personal partner, he's a person, you can talk to him. Wow, I'm afraid I've kinda had the something or the it, maybe you've never thought of it that way, but down deep you know wait a second i'm really not treating him as a person and i need to get right with the holy spirit about that would you raise the hand if that's you yes 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 amen now friends he's the senior partner this is not a matter of just pious words he's lord i'm asking you dear friend are you yielding to him as lord Not just for once in a while when you feel like I got a desperate need and I need His Lordship now and I'll take care of it in between. I mean all the time. He's Lord. You know, when you yield to Him as Lord, you access His power. I wonder, is there a known sin there is, then we're grieving the spirit. On the doubtful things, are we just doing our own thing or are we taking the, the time to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do here? I wonder who would say, preacher, God is really speaking to me about yielding to his lordship even in the little things. Would you raise the hand please? Yes, 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 yes. And one other thing to those who know the Lord, How about the power for witnessing? How about asking and taking and acting and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit? Not the overcoming life, the overflowing life where the Spirit overflows Jesus to those around you. And there's power in the gospel. Same gospel, but now there's power. Just like with Walter Wilson, he'd witnessed for years, no power. And all of a sudden, as he took the leadership and power of the Spirit, now there was power. I wonder, to say, preacher, God's challenging me to apply the steps of faith to ask and take and act in regard to not just the leadership, but the power of the Spirit in the gospel. Would you raise the hand, please? Sure. Yes. 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 Amen. Yes. Yes. Now, is there anyone in this audience say, preacher, I'm not. I'm not sure I saved. If I died right now, I hope I'd go to heaven, but I don't know. I don't know my sins were forgiven. I do not know I have eternal life. I. I don't know that. That's my need. Please pray for me. If that's you, would you raise the hand? Anyone at all. Now, Father, I pray that you'll bless these final moments. And Lord, as we're right now in the assembly, may we provoke one another to love and good works by obeying the Holy Spirit. With our heads bowed, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do right now, will you do it? Will you talk to him? If he leads you to get on your knees, feel free to do that, whatever. My my point is, let's do what he wants us to do. Will you take the time to do that even now as the pianist plays?